Welcome to Uplifting Conversations. I'm your host, Tucson Bailey, founder and CEO of Uplifting Capital. Today's guest is Khalil Keys, Director of Strategic Initiatives at Gen G. The word that I keep coming back to is uplifting. I have this conviction based on my lived experience that uplifting people or the planet doesn't have to be draining. It can actually feel uplifting to the person who's making that impact. Welcome to Uplifting Conversations. I'm your host, Tucson Bailey, founder and CEO of Uplifting Capital. Today's guest is Khalil Keys, Director of Strategic Initiatives at Gen G. Welcome, brother. Welcome, <laughs> welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Good to have you here. Good to be back with you. I know Absolutely. we got into this a little bit at the, uh, at the Impact Dinner uh, that we had a, a month or so back, um, but definitely was intrigued enough by uh, what I heard of your journey there and some of the conversations we've had around gaming and education that I thought you have a lot of really good stuff to share with people, not only about your work, but just about your journey to that work. Uh, so I'm hoping you'll share. So I, I know the, the, the resume is beyond impressive um, and, and we'll, we'll breeze through that because I, I really want to get underneath that. But currently Director of Strategic Initiatives at Gen G which is a gaming company that, that's doing some major things, not only in terms of the industry, but also access to that industry. Uh, football football superstar, <laughs> right? In, in a town near and dear to my heart, Petaluma, you actually played at Casa. Uh, shout out to Ryder Jacobson, current running back at Casa, who's doing his thing. Uh, yeah, so, so there, on to Yale um, uh, with, with the Brainiacs, um, uh, now at, at Anderson Business School, go Bruins. Uh, and so all of that is amazing. Why don't you first uh, share a little bit about kind of where your current work is focused and, and, and what you're doing there? Absolutely. Um, well, again, thank you very much for having me. I think for my current job, so Genji Esports, we are a professional gaming organization. Uh, we have headquarters in Seoul, Korea, in Shanghai, China, and Santa Monica. And when we started five years ago, we were you know, a competitive professional esports org with teams in League of Legends and Overwatch and PUBG, where we're competing in you know, global scope tournaments, trying to really win on that aspect and trying to kind of really form the model of traditional sports, you know, having teams and GMs. So that really is a growing industry. But I think you know, two years into our origin as a company, we really started to see opportunities for growth within the education space, within gaming. So as part of those efforts, uh, we actually launched a fully accredited high school tailored towards students who've you know, fallen off the you know, traditional academic track, who may have been underperforming, but really saw gaming as a vehicle and an outlet to just improve their overall outcomes, you know, to, to be able to access you know, college and career opportunities. Um, and that really was a foundation that we built in Korea. And so now uh, a big part of my role today is expanding you know, that focus and that initiative on empowering students through gaming and education here in the US, so working across school districts. And that accredited high school is focused on gaming access opportunities? So that's really the carrot for a lot of the students. So they have their kind of traditional you know, mathematics, English, other courses that they take, but then there's after school and in school kind of gaming based curriculum that's centered around that. And they only have the ability to really access that if they're performing well in certain aspects of their traditional coursework. So that's really how we're able to, to build on that. So just as part of that, we've seen you know an over 1.0 in, increase in average GPA for the students that we work with, a lot more engagement, and you know over 20 students sent to, to universities on scholarship in the US and China. 
Oh, that's incredible. And, and like, just so people have an idea, because I was staggered when you shared with me, you said like, it's a growing industry. Like, mm -hmm. like, talk about from a numbers perspective a little bit, just the magnitude of, of gaming for folks who, like I was, uh, maybe I'm familiar with just how substantial that industry is. Yeah, so I think one of the things that excites us is the broader gaming industry and ecosystem is $180 billion to $200 billion industry overall. I think a lot of people look at competitive esports as a vertical where people have that in the one to two billion dollar industry. And that's again, the tournaments, the championships, competitive teams, which is a still a core component of what we do. But we really are looking at the macro gaming ecosystem and games that we have competitive teams in and some that we don't because that's a really unique opportunity to reach a widespread diverse audience through their interest and connection in gaming. So there really is a lot to, to build in and tap into there. That, that is incredible. and. So you have, you started with this model of the accredited high school in Korea. Like what is it that you're doing now to use gaming as a vehicle to increase opportunities and access for, for people who may have been shut out? Yeah, so I think one of the things that's been exciting uh, with what we're building is we have a model that's worked there. There's a more of a maturity, frankly, around esports and an adoption to that. But as we looked to enter the US market and build programming here, I think there was a realization that we, we first have to learn and understand, one, how the market's perceived, how are parents thinking about gaming? What type of students do we really want to help you know, bring these types of programs to? So for instance, the first pilot program we did is, is where I'm based in Sacramento, which is at Elk Grove, um, Elk Grove Unified School District. And we worked with a middle school, um, so Edward Harris Middle School, uh, where there's, you know, Elk Grove is the fifth largest school district in California. Edward Harris is one of the most diverse student bodies, and they had a, a group of over 250 students who were participating in a kind of informal gaming club. But the, the school, you know, Edward Harris, credit to them, they're very big on helping create, you know, they call all their students future college graduates. They're very much thinking about their futures and how they can connect. So when we had spoken to their principal about Gen G and some of the things we're doing, they really had an interest in being able to build out kind of a, a, an after-school pilot program, um, which you know, initially was 20 weeks that helped incorporate STEM-based curriculum to help the students learn about different jobs and technical careers, to learn about college pathways, uh, to learn about environmental sustainability. So we partnered, partnered with a local energy company in SMUD um, to be able to build out that curriculum. So we helped kind of construct that programming, brought in volunteers to help kind of uh, expand and, and really administer that curriculum. And now we're actually expanding this fall to four schools in that district and are having a number of other discussions with districts, K through 12 districts, primarily in low income, historically underserved communities to help them access all of these opportunities that are really tied to this broader gaming ecosystem. That's incredible. Cause I, I'd imagine, so you have, you have, you start with gaming and you have these students who have a natural interest and perhaps even aptitude in gaming, they they are uh, kind of like motivated, right, right. To, to engage in these activities. They probably have no idea they're touching a hundred and eighty billion dollar industry. No idea about the opportunities that offers, whether those are core or whether those are like you know, there's all sorts of finance opportunities and legal opportunities, whatever the case may be. And so, right. just opening up that broader ecosystem in, in a space where they're already engaged, I think is genius from from a kind of engagement standpoint have have you seen um success stories uh with with students who may or may not have have been uh, engaged in the traditional pathways 
kind of tap into the, these gaming opportunities or tap into education through gaming and, and really see a spark? Yeah, so I think one of the things that, that's been exciting is we've seen a number of, well, first we just look at retention and engagement. So we had a 20 week program, we had to work through a lot of, you know, just challenges and working and getting district approval, but we saw almost 90% of the students remain through the entirety of the program because they saw that overall interest and excitement and aligning with their skills and passions. I think the second piece we saw, which is really interesting and specific to the pandemic is we're working with seventh grade students and a lot of them may not, they, you know, the lost time and not being able to interact with their peers was really a challenge for them. So through gaming, that was an outlet to where they're able to connect with students who may have had you know, different interests, who they may not have been able to express you know, their passion points, but that was that commonality. That's where they were able to build. So we had a lot of students who throughout the course of programming were able to build confidence. Now they're talking about things that they like to do. They may have been in the back of the class in other rooms, but now they found something that they can really see excitement in and interest in. Now, one of the things that we're looking to build and where we've seen excitement is we have seven returning students from the middle school that are actually going to the high school program and we're creating a collegiate program to where there's now scholarships and opportunities for some of these students to pursue at the university level. So we're really emphasizing that pathway aspect of that and, and really ensuring that we can engage with the students throughout their entire kind of academic journey. And a lot of students have raised their hand and expressed interest Whereas they may have started to just, you know, I, I enjoy gaming, but now they're starting to see that. So, so, so this is this is incredible. Um, I, I love like learning more about your work, sharing more about your work. I want to, so, so I, I know you, uh, I think enough now, and have heard enough about kind of what your story has been. To uh, I, I will um, take the liberty of saying, uh, but creating pathways um, and and finding um, paths. Uh, and finding synergy is is a superpower for you, right? I think where you are now, you've done work at, at MLB and strategic partnerships, done work uh, other places, uh, kind of highly respected places and strategic partnerships. So finding pathways to, to help people find synergistic success, you've done that with young people in particular, and you can talk a little bit about your work in Harlem and, and, and the, uh, the work that you've done elsewhere to kind of create uh, new pathways. You created pathways for yourself. I think, um, uh, you know, public high school, uh, I don't think your parents went, went to Yale, but, but finding your way to that level of success and then being where you are now, like where does that um, both ability and then desire to create those kinds of pathways come from? Like, like was there, yeah, where does that come from? Yeah, um, really appreciate the question. I think for me, a lot of it started with Growing up, there was a foundation where my parents really instilled in me, well, why not you? They, they really pushed me to aspire to the highest possible thing that I could achieve that was within kind of my purview. Never in a million years did I imagine that that would be Yale, but I was really grateful and fortunate for that opportunity that also stemmed from you know me playing a sport and football was my vehicle and I really chased and pursued that. And interestingly, when I got there my freshman year, about a week before the first game, I, I tore my ACL, LCL, and I ended up continuing playing, but I think it being there broadened my perspective of what else was out there and who I was. And it forced me to think beyond being an athlete. But at the same time, I felt a little bit of imposter syndrome when I was first there. I felt like I didn't belong mm -hmm. um, because I didn't have maybe the same background as a lot of the student body. But over time, as I really invested more time and resources and frankly had mentors around me, and started to do well, I realized that I could do this, that this was feasible for me, but I was 
grateful for the opportunity to have people around that could really pour into me and speak into me and inspire me. And being in a place like Yale and in New Haven, Connecticut, there are a lot of young men that look like me, but they may not have had access to a place like Yale, to that university aspect. So that I think is where I really started to feel this passion and interest in, well, how can I give that back? Because I, I could see how this was possible through my story, but this isn't always the pathway that's available to people from backgrounds and circumstances. Like no, I mean, I have so much connection to that. It's like, there's almost a survivor's guilt uh, because you're like, man, I know so many people with, you know, that may have my level of talent, but not my level of opportunity. Right. That, that should be here. Right? Yeah. Like there's yeah. so many that should be here. Let's get them here. <laughs> right. To kick the door down. Yeah. And so, so talk about, uh, you know, even prior to Gen G, like some of the ways, some of the outlets that you found to do that. Yeah, so I think one of the first things I did is I was, I was always trying to find a way initially when I entered the, the corporate world to do that through work. So when I worked at Major League Baseball, I wanted to find ways to you know, support our reviving baseball and inner cities program. So that was a program in which they did, there were a number of different kind of satellite programs where they did SAT prep and tutoring and baseball was really the outlet. But I was in more of a corporate partnerships capacity. So I was trying to you know, secure funds from corporate partners to help support their marketing initiatives. So while I was doing a few programs that could help support that, uh, it wasn't the core function of my job. So what I think that forced me to do was to think about ways in which I could really support those interests and passions outside of the scope of work. And that really led me to starting a mentorship program in Harlem uh, in the Bronx, which is where I was living at the time, where there were a number of different student groups who, again, who had that skill set, who had that interest, who had that passion, who had these dreams and aspirations, but they weren't necessarily exposed to you know, some of the, the things that I had had the privilege to do. So that was kind of one of the first vehicles. And, and I know it's, so part of this answer is gonna be your own story, but aside from that, what, what gave you hope that if you gave that access, that, that, that there could be a positive result on the other side, or that you could affect that, the change that you wanted to affect? I think it was just an interacting with some of the youth and seeing what they were capable of, to see the brilliance, to see the resiliency, frankly, mm -hmm. to know that despite some of the challenges that were there, um, there are young men, particularly young men and women of color who have thrived despite these circumstances. Yes. Um, and that's what really propelled me and excited me to just use whatever resources or privilege I have to be an outlet to help support that. And, and I, I love this idea you touched on um, a concept that I think about a lot, which is this idea of stretching uh, the resources that we have available to us rather than uh, getting in our head that we need to chase new resources in order to create change. So what was the mentality that lets you uh, kind of get started from where you're at? You said you were in corporate partnerships at Major League Baseball, so this was not necessarily in your purview. Um, you know, you're you're probably pretty young, pretty early in your career. What what made you think I, I have some tools in in my in my toolkit that that can help this issue or help me see the change I want to see? Yeah, for me, I think it was a lot about connection. I think I, I didn't have fears or reservations around talking to people who may have been in positions of power and success. And what I found is a lot of people who had been there were really eager and willing to give their time. Um, to have a conversation and to create that network. So I think I approached that with just that humility and interest in wanting to learn and being grateful for those opportunities. And I started to, as I started to have more of those conversations, my network started to expand. So while I may not have had all the answers or all the resources myself, I, I was eager and willing to connect with people that did and, and how I can kind of pour into 
you know, groups that may not have had that access and build upon that. And I think that increasingly I found that people wanted to do more. They just didn't know how or what that looked like. Oh, man. Amen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, and I think uh, a, a lot of us overlook just how much bridge building in itself is a give and, and is a resource because you talk about one side of that bridge, which is um, like being able to approach and access these people who might have had the ability to change a young person's life. But you're also on the other side of that bridge because you were at a place and have a background that allows you to meet these uh, kids where they are and have a conversation with them. There's not a lot of people who live at at the, at the intersection of those two worlds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. That's, I think that was exactly it. And kind of realizing the unique position at times it was isolating because it was I don't know a lot of people who can relate to both of these circumstances. I'm seeing kind of the hurt and the challenges and the circumstance at this end, but now given the affordability of having gone to Yale or having had these jobs, I can now get into rooms that I may not have been able to get to. And even if I feel a little bit uncomfortable, displaced here, how can I use that to be the bridge? So I think that's exactly. Man, I've struggled with that. So I'm just now coming to a place where I'm finding peace around living in both of these worlds because with there's a thin line between like having something to offer both worlds and being a bridge and not being enough in either world right, right? like you right. come from this background that doesn't look like this this successful kind of corporate world that you're in so you're like man i i'm not a, i'm not corporate enough or I'm, or I'm not you know successful enough for this world and you've kind of you know you haven't departed but you're now living in a different world than your original circumstances so it's like oh man i'm no longer real enough for this world and so right. you just feel this squeeze and so for me like finding a finding myself right yeah. and finding my own voice in both of those worlds was just inner work like therapy and all sorts of inner work yeah absolutely well, um i can just recall just to that point i when i started the mentorship program in harlem in the bronx I was excited to work with the youth, but at times I was hesitant to speak in front of the students. I was hesitant to really use that platform because I was like, well, can I actually relate? Not only am I not from here, this is now not my lived experience as much anymore, although I deeply care and entrenched, but I eventually got over that and got embraced by being authentic to myself and telling my story, but that's been a constant journey. Yeah, yeah, no, man, I, I've, I've come to realize those kids need to see you. Right. Like they, need, they need to see you and they need to see where you are now. Right. They don't need you back where they are. So no, that's incredible. I'm I'm glad that you're you're on that journey. Um, if 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 people are in similar situations where they're in a seemingly constricted position or or a position that doesn't necessarily relate to the change that they want to make, what would you offer as kind of um, what we call micro acts of courage? Something that people can start on today to either improve access to education for kids, turn on the lights. Uh, for for kids who may be be disengaged, like what would what would you suggest to people as as something to do right now? Yeah, I think one of the things that I found to be most effective, and where people you know, have an interest in supporting circumstances that may not be directly tied to their immediate circumstance, especially with people with privilege, is creating proximity and entering that environment and beginning with questions mm. and asking what needs to be done, getting an understanding of the circumstances, the challenges, the environment of that community. Um, and then kind of sitting back, brainstorming, thinking through solutions. But oftentimes you may see something from the exterior without having that lived experience or without having a connection with someone to the cause. And although the intentions may be pure, the solution is gonna be ineffective because it's not constructed in a way that's really to the benefit and at the core of what the challenges are. So I'd say that's the first piece, especially in looking at a thing like education, 
where you know, a lot of people even talk about college as a first step and providing access to that. I got into the K through 12 space because I saw it needed to start a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. The conversation, the resources that were needed were often at the K through 12 level where they're not getting access to this and they need to be maybe engaged or inspired in a different way. So I think that's really a first step is, is creating proximity and entering that environment, even if it may be uncomfortable or unfamiliar and asking questions about what can be done. That's incredible. Yeah, and that, that, go, that proximity um, has kind of bilateral benefits, right? Like, mm -hmm. so that pro like, you're giving proximity, obviously, by coming closer and leaving, entering into an environment you may not be used to. But you're also in proximity with with some some folks that can enrich your life Absolutely. in ways that you might not realize. So I, I am I'm big on that. I, I did a project called Just Listen, where I was encouraging people just listen, right? <laughs> like just just show up, uh, uh, get in in proximity with somebody who may not look like you, and just listen. And I think, yeah, like I love that idea of of kind of transferring privilege mm -hmm. through proximity. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, lastly, uh, this is this is a, a little bit off. But I like to ask it. You've you've had a sneak preview at this question, but what does uplifting mean to you? Yeah, I think uplifting for me. One of the first pieces of it is acknowledging that there are disparities or injustices that need to be encountered in the first place. I think the idea of uplifting is really predicated in the notion that there's something that needs to be leveled. There's something that needs to be lifted up. Mm. Then for me, I think a second component of that is what resources, access, privilege do I have to be a resource, to help uplift, to create inspiration. But I think beyond just the inspiration, it's coupled with the resources that can really help uplift and empower um, you know, different groups or the cause that you really want to support. So I think, again, it begins with just the, the acknowledgement that, that something's there, that something needs to change creating the proximity going back to the earlier point and then leveraging kind of the resources that are available to help create change in that space. Man, I am inspired. It's, it's a privilege to, to have gotten to know you. You are definitely uplifting. Appreciate you, man. Thank you, brother. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and click the notification button so you never miss an episode.